Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Wise, reporting today from a 100-plus degree Texas summer. If I really wanted to do a podcast on something that changed Texas history, I think I'd have to pick air conditioning. Anyway, thank you for tuning in today for some Texas history. I want to start off today by saying a big thank you to everyone who, on their summer road trips, is listening to Wise About Texas. I've gotten some great emails and pictures from all over the country feedback from folks listening to the podcast on the road. I appreciate that. I hope it's making your road trip a little bit easier. Today, I want to start by asking a question, and the question is this. What is it about Texas women? Around the country, probably the world, if you want something done, get a woman from Texas and it'll get done. I don't care if it's a meal for 20, a house decorated, a horse trained and ridden, heck, even a building built, the kids raised, it doesn't matter. Texas women can do it. They look fantastic in the process, and it has always been that way. You know, think back to the Texas Revolution. The uh, men all went to fight, and they were trying to build these homesteads, these farms, these ranches, and they left to fight the Mexican army. Well, the chores and the children and the animals and the crops, the all of that still required all the attention. So who do you think took charge and got all that done as well as fighting off? hostile Indians. Uh, Those were Texas women. That was who was in charge. Famous singers sing about them. Hank Williams Jr. had a song about Texas women. More recently, Pat Green and my buddy Lyle Lovett made it clear that Texas girls are just a little bit better. And they do it all with style and grace. Today, we're going to meet another incredible Texas woman who did it her way in her style. She ruled the roost. She fended off the police, debt collector. She beat the court system and she even made Sam Houston himself back down. So let's go back to the 1830s and get wise about Texas. Most women who came to Texas in the earliest days were brought there by their husband. That was just the nature of the times. And they took care of the home place while the men went to war, which I mentioned earlier. They were entrepreneurs, they were farmers and ranchers, they were Indian fighters, they were mothers, all by necessity, except for the subject of our story today, Pamelia Mann. Now I'm going to start by saying I'm not sure how to pronounce Pamelia. I'm going to say Pamelia most of the time. It's spelled P-A-M-E-L-I-A. I suppose you could call her Pamelia. Um, I'm going with Pamelia, and uh, we could just call her Pam. Anyway, Pamelia arrived in Texas in early 1834. She was married at the time to her third husband named Marshall Mann. She had two boys from two prior marriages, one each. The first, Flournoy Hunt, was nicknamed, she nicknamed him Nimrod. He was 17 years old when they got to Texas. The other, Samuel Allen, Samuel Ezekiel Allen, was eight years old when they got to Texas. The Manns arrived in Harrisburg. And they moved on and settled in San Felipe, of course, the capital. Pamelia and her husband ran a boarding house in Washington on the Brazos. And in March 1836, when the delegates arrived to declare independence, etc., and all the things they did at Washington on the Brazos, many of them were staying at the man's boarding house. 
one of the residents of that boarding house at the time was the famous diarist William Fairfax Gray. His diary, of course, is a fantastic source on information about the events leading up to and through the Texas Revolution. And Pamelia also got to know our friend Sam Houston pretty well. In fact, one account tells that when some of the Goliad survivors finally reached San Felipe, they found General Houston with his head in Pamelia's lap as she combed his hair. Now, the source for that story are some pamphlets written after the Texas Revolution by some folks that didn't like Sam Houston very much. But in any event, it certainly could have been the case. Mann eventually uh, left San Felipe, uh, Pamelia I'm talking about, with the rest of the civilians to flee the Mexican army during the runaway scrape. And during the runaway scrape, the most famous story involving Miss Mann occurred, but we're going to save that for later. Pamelia's husband joined the army right after the Battle of San Jacinto was won, and during this time, or at least by August 1836, Pamelia was living in Harrisburg. Um, her relations apparently with Sam Houston had chilled a bit after the story that we'll discuss later, and she also began, when she got to Harrisburg, what turned out to be a very prolific litigation career. The court system in Houston started in March of 1837, and our good friend Judge Benjamin Cromwell Franklin presided, uh, the subject of episode one of Wise About Texas. And the minute book survives to this day, the minute book where Sam Houston and Secretary of State Stephen F. Austin established the court system, Benjamin Cromwell Franklin took the oath of office, and the first cases uh, were heard. That book is in the Harris County District Clerk's Office. And if you go to that book, uh, Pamelia Mann appears in the very first volume, and she appears on page 18. The case involved uh, the collection of a judgment that was obtained in, the, in September of 1836 in what's referred to as the Provisional Court of the Municipality of Harrisburg. Now, I'm going to confess something right here. I've been a judge over 15 years in Houston and I was not familiar with the Provisional Court of Harrisburg, so you can stay tuned for another episode on that right there. So Pamelia Mann was one of the original settlers of Houston, and she bought two lots on Congress Avenue at Milam, the northeast corner of that block. Uh, coincidentally, that my great-great-grandfather, Dr. James Price, also owned a lot on that block, so no doubt he was acquainted with Miss Mann. Uh, her husband, Marshall, was the doorkeeper of the Texas Senate at this time, Houston, of course, being the capital. And she opened on her lots, she opened the Mansion House Hotel. Now, let me mention something right quick. When I say Pamelia Mann bought these lots, I mean she bought them. It wasn't her husband buying them for her to use. She bought them herself. She was fiercely independent, and she maintained that throughout her life. In fact, it turns out that she and Marshall Mann had what effectively was a prenuptial agreement agreeing that her assets and affairs would be managed by Pamelia herself and her alone, and they most certainly were. Let me tell you about the Mansion House Hotel. It was very stylishly decorated. The dining room had two long tables. There were fans that would be pulled, uh, that would be waved, kind of palm leaves waved by long strings that would be pulled by the servants. Lots of very fine furnishings, uh, multiple silver coffee sets. There were three individual rooms outfitted with fine furniture and several dorm-type rooms. Now, all of that information comes from the probate records 
for Pamela Mann's estate, which describes the assets that she had. And so I'm presuming that those would have been in the Mansion House Hotel. Now here I want to mention something else that you'll occasionally read about Miss Mann. Occasionally she's referred to as a madam, implying that the Mansion House was a brothel. There's absolutely no evidence that I found of that, none whatsoever. Miss Mann had varied business interests, and I'm sure, uh, given her apparent character, as you'll deduce from the totality of this episode, she probably wasn't above it if she thought it would make money. But I found nothing in the record to uh, allude to the fact that she might have been running a house of ill repute. All right, well, the Mansion House was a popular place to stay. Now, I mentioned Houston was the capital at this time. So, and the Mansion House is only a couple couple of blocks from where the Capitol building would have stood, which is now where the Rice Hotel stands, Rice Lofts. And so it would have been a very convenient place for the representatives and people associated with the government to stay, and no doubt they did. In April 1838, I found a claim on the state for uh, from Miss Mann for hosting four Tonkaway Indian chiefs who were in town to talk peace with Sam Houston. Now, interestingly, I described, or coincidentally, I should say, I described that event in the episode on John J. Audubon's visit to Texas and visit to Houston, where he describes the meeting uh, with those Indian chiefs. In fact, uh, Audubon's meeting with Sam Houston was delayed because of those chiefs. Anyway, the chiefs were staying at Pamelia Mann's hotel, and she sent the state a bill for hosting them. One of Houston's uh, most famous duels occurred as a result of something that happened at the Mansion House. There was uh, a man named Goodrich and a man named Lawrence sharing one of those dormitory rooms. And uh, Goodrich woke up and had misplaced or lost a note that was owing to him, which would have been as good as currency. And he accused Lawrence of stealing it from him. So uh, the next morning, Goodrich and Lawrence left the mansion, mansion house and walked south to the dueling grounds in Houston, where uh, Goodrich fired a shot through Lawrence's midsection, which resulted in his death. Dueling was a huge problem in Houston. A problem, I don't know if you're a participant, maybe you don't think it's such a big problem, especially if you win. Uh, but that was something, when you read the history of early Houston, they talk a lot about. Well, in addition to the mansion house, uh, Pamelia operated a stable right across the street. Um, I found a claim, a receipt, actually, uh, from the state for wood for the steamboat Zavala that uh, Pamelia had provided. And the tax rolls from the time show her owning over 2,000 acres of land in addition to several city lots and many slaves, horses, and cattle. So Pamelia Mann was not only a businesswoman, she was a very successful businesswoman and successful not only for a woman, for anyone by the measure of the time. Um, now, her husband, Marshall Mann, I mentioned was doorkeeper of the Senate. He was also among the first group of Houston police officers. Now, Houston, the town of Houston, was a very rough place and did not initially have a police force, but a citizens' committee was gathered to constitute the police force until a more permanent solution was found, and Marshall Mann was one of the men selected to be on that force. Now, that's a little bit ironic because uh, later on, Pamelia was accused by a doctor of stealing a trunk that belonged to him and stashing it in the mansion house. So this doctor went and got what is described as a warrant, but was probably a judgment against Miss Mann 
for possession of this trunk. And he got six police officers, presumably not including Marshall Mann. This was, this was after he would have been part of that provisional police force. So the doctor and these six police officers show up at the mansion house demanding this trunk. Well, the account of the time reads that uh, Pamelia deployed what's called, quote, the vocabulary of Billingsgate, close quote. And I had to look that up, and that means um, insults coupled with severe foul language. And uh, Pamelia basically told the police officers knocking at the door that the mansion house would share the, quote, infamy of Goliad, close quote, if they bothered to come through that door, meaning she was going to kill every one of those people. And um, the police officers left. So that tells you all you need to know about the respect they had for Pamelia Mann's toughness. Um, later, the sheriff decided to set up a little sting operation on Pamelia and provide the opportunity for her to purloin a decoy trunk, uh, which she did, and it resulted in Pamelia's indictment for larceny. But Pamelia was nothing if not resourceful. She insisted that the investigation of this crime, which at the time would have occurred sort of Sherlock Holmes style, where, where everybody involved gathers in the same room and then the officers conduct the investigation, and that apparently is what happened here. Well, Pamelia had the wisdom to say, okay, we're going to conduct the investigation right here in the mansion house. Well, at some point, the prosecutor left the room, at which point Pamelia barred the door from the inside and proceeded to provide all of the food, water, and whiskey that any of the witnesses wanted and could handle. And at the end of that time, uh, the witnesses refused to testify against uh, their most generous hostess and her indictment was dismissed. Another time, uh, Pamelia was accused of forgery. Now, you need to understand the law at this time. Forgery apparently was a huge problem in the early Republic of Texas because under Sam Houston's presidency, it was made a capital crime. That's right. You could get the death penalty for forgery. Well, Pamelia was accused in December 1838 of forgery. It seems that she had forged a receipt reflecting that a debt she owed had been paid. And she forged the note holder's name, Mary Hardy, but she also interestingly forged the name William Barrett Travis, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but um, she did that anyway. Well, they uh, jailed, they arrested Pamelia in December and held her in jail till May. Now, the jail in Houston at this time was awful. It was two rooms. You entered from the roof. They'd, they'd put a ladder down, put the prisoner in there, pull the ladder back up, shut the door. It was two communal rooms, and Pamelia would have been in there with whomever else was in jail, probably mostly men. Her lawyers for this case was a law firm of Houston and Birdsall, and that was Sam Houston and John Birdsall, who had served as Attorney General of the Republic. The case was tried in May. The jury deliberated over 24 hours, which was very rare at that time in this kind of case. They returned a verdict of guilty. Pamelia was found guilty of forgery, but they sent a message to the judge, our friend Benjamin Cromwell Franklin, for a lighter sentence. And the jury also did something very unusual. They sent a petition to, Mayor, uh, to President Maribou B. Lamar 
asking Lamar to pardon her. And really what that was was a comment on the severity of the forgery law. Well, this made the newspapers, as you might imagine. The newspapers uh, wrote editorials about the law being very harsh. Well, the sentencing was held on May 24th, and Benjamin Cromwell Franklin sentenced her to death to be carried out on June 27th. There wasn't a lot of waiting around back in those days. Well, the following day, uh, Maribou B. Lamar uh, honored the jury's petition and pardoned Pamelia Mann. So she escaped the hangman's noose, even though she had been sentenced to death. Well, she was, um, she was also party to many other lawsuits during this time. Sometimes she was the plaintiff. Sometimes she was the defendant. She was indicted for adultery during this time. She was a party to a suit involving the purchase of slaves, the payment of a note. She had a real estate fraud case, all kinds of stuff. And if you look at her estate documents, after she died, she owed lawyers over $5,000, which, you know, in that, at that time was an incredible amount of money. She also, some, one of those lawyers was Benjamin Cromwell Franklin himself, who became a lawyer after leaving the bench. So she actually hired the judge who had sentenced her to death to represent her later on. Uh, so that falls in the small world category. And all of this is available in the minutes of the Harris County District Courts. And some of them are available online. Some of them you need to go down to the courthouse to look at, but they're all there. Now, I mentioned an indictment for adultery. This was actually, uh, she was co-indicted uh, with her partner, Tandy Brown. And it was really, at that time, it was called adultery. It was really for them having an illicit uh, relationship out of wedlock. Um, and they eventually got married. Uh, Pamelia uh, also, with this marriage, got a what amounts to a prenuptial agreement where she was in total control of her business. And uh, this last marriage did not settle her down. She was later indicted, along with Tandy Brown and her oldest son, Flournoy, for assault with intent to kill. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that involved. I couldn't find that, but I, and, and I also couldn't find it ever coming to trial. There was a continuance issued, um, but I didn't see a trial. Her husband, uh, Tandy, also got charged with stabbing a free black woman who had bought a lot from Pamelia. Um, now, Houston at this time uh, had, a, had a significant population of freed people of color, and they were a part of the community, and many of them very successful. And this free woman of color had purchased uh, one of the lots from Pamelia and apparently was not very happy with the purchase. Pamelia was also arrested for stealing a slave, uh, but I couldn't find the conclusion of that case in the documents. Anyway, Pamelia uh, led a very, very active life uh, during her time as a Houston resident. Now, let me tell you a couple of things about her sons. Flournoy Hunt, or whom she called Nimrod, her oldest son, he served in the Texas Army during the Revolution. He was actually married at the Mansion House Hotel in 1838. His best man was Sam Houston himself. So at some point, Pamelia had mended the relations that uh, had become a little tense, as we will soon learn. Uh, also in that wedding party were Dr. Ashbell Smith, which was uh, one of Texas's early doctors, as well as Dr. Alexander Ewing, who had attended Sam Houston at San Jacinto when he was wounded. Um, Hunt was kind of a renegade himself. He would eventually be killed in a fight at a horse racing track in Harrisburg a few years after this in 1842. So the apple didn't fall too darn far from the tree in Nimrod's case. Um, her other son, Samuel Allen, 
uh, got married in 1844. He became a very successful rancher in Harrisburg. He had several children. Um, his daughter-in-law, it's a little side note I found, his daughter-in-law, Rosa Allen, ended up donating a Galveston Bay home and land to the Episcopal Church. They had all joined the Episcopal Church, and Rosa Allen donated this land, and it became Camp Allen, which is still in operation, although they have moved it to uh, Grimes County, northwest of Houston, and I've actually taken my family there from time to time. It's a wonderful place. Um, Soon after the stabbing incident uh, that Tandy Brown, where Tandy Brown stabbed the purchaser uh, of that city lot, he died of yellow fever in September and of that same year. And uh, yellow fever was a huge problem in Houston. And uh, there were many, many yellow fever fever outbreaks, not just Houston, Galveston and, and throughout Texas, but Houston was particularly susceptible to it, given the fact that the city is built on a swamp. Um, Pamelia later fell ill and she died shortly after uh, Tandy in November 1840. Uh, it is said she was buried in Founders Memorial Park in an unmarked grave. And I'll tell you how to get there at the end of this episode. Now about that most famous story I kept mentioning. Well, here it is. Recall that Sam Houston lay reclined in Pamelia's lap with her combing his hair in San Felipe as the Goliad survivors straggled in uh, after the March 27th massacre in 1836. Well, everyone was in full retreat. Pamelia had crossed the Brazos along with the rest of the civilians from San Felipe, and then, of course, the town was burned. And at Gross's plantation, she met up with the Army. Now, Gross's plantation near Hempstead was where Sam Houston camped for an extended period to train his men. He camped west of the Brazos across the river from the plantation. And, and it was also at this time that the twin sisters arrived from Cincinnati, the two cannon that were the only artillery the Texas Army had at San Jacinto. So Houston crossed the Brazos and needed a way to pull those cannon toward what would eventually be San Jacinto. And so he needed some oxen. Well, Pamelia Mann was successful, and she had in her charge a yoke of oxen. So Sam Houston cut a deal with Pamelia to use her two of her oxen to pull the twin sisters, and Pamelia expressly said, okay, if you take these oxen and you take the Nacogdoches Road, which would eventually be the left fork at a fork in the road and heading toward Louisiana, you can take these oxen. But if you're going toward Harrisburg, I'm going to keep these animals. Houston agreed to this and told her that he was going toward Nacogdoches. Well, off they went. Well, near the present-day town of Tomball, of course, we know that the army turned to the right and got some miles down the roads that were extremely muddy from the spring rain and uprode a very irate Pamelia man. She was described as wearing a brace of pistols and had a huge bowie knife in her belt. She is reported to have ridden right up to General Houston and said, And I quote, General, you told me a damn lie. You said you were taking the Nacogdoches Road. I want my oxen, close quote. Houston replied, of course, that the Army needed the oxen to move the cannon, and she said, this is what she was quoted as saying, quote, I don't care a damn about your cannon. I want my oxen, close quote. At which point, man apparently jumped off her horse, 
pulled out that bowie knife she had, cut the leather straps from the oxen, and disengaged the chain, chaining those oxen to the wagon. She then jumped back on her horse and with a loud whip crack, drove the oxen back over, back up the road and back home. Well, the wagon master, a guy named Conrad Rohrer, told General Houston he'd go back and get the oxen, and Houston is said to have yelled after him, quote, Captain, that woman will bite, close quote. The wagon master didn't care. He said he was going to get the oxen back. He later returned to camp with a torn-up shirt and no oxen. The Army referred to this incident as Houston's defeat. So Houston did all he, all he could do in that situation. He got down and helped push those cannon towards San Jacinto. Well, that's Pamelia Mann. She defied the conventions of her day, uh, partly probably from the necessity of a hard life on the frontier and partly, no doubt, from her fiery personality. Did Texas make her that way, I wonder? Well, probably not much. I think Texas attracted people like Pamelia Mann. She was an independent spirit and extraordinarily self-reliant. Those qualities were certainly shaped by the environment of early Houston, which was very violent, crude, frankly, just unpleasant. But her spirit was the spirit of Texas and the spirit of Texas women. I certainly hope my Texas-born daughter is equally as tough just a tad more refined and a lot more law-abiding. But at the end of the day, you got to say, God bless those Texas women. Well, now we come to the part of the show where I call Getting There, where I tell you how to go see some of the places. I mentioned San Felipe a lot in this episode. Go out to San Felipe just west of Sealy. There's a brand-new museum that opened. It's, it's a neat, neat place, and they've got a lot of interactive exhibits where you can stand there and see Uh, what would have been Travis's law office and you can envision the town and how it's laid out. It's a great museum. They've got some great artifacts including Stephen F. Austin's desk that he used at the Capitol. Uh, Harrisburg is now part of Houston. If you go down to the intersection of Lawndale and Broadway uh, you're basically in the center of old Harrisburg so you can go check that out if you're in Houston. Up near Tomball there is a park called New Kentucky Park. It's on FM 2920, just west of town. And in that park is where the road would have forked and the road made that turn toward uh, San Jacinto pursued by uh, Pamelia Mann and her Bowie knife. Founders Memorial Cemetery, which is where Pamelia Mann supposedly was buried in an unmarked grave, is at 1217-1217 West Dallas Street in Houston. There are a ton of uh, Revolutionary-era figures buried in there. Marabou Lamar's wife is laid to rest there. Many, many other uh, early Texas and Houston figures are buried there. Uh, So if you'd like to pay your respects to Miss Mann, you can find that. The Mansion House Hotel was located at the northeast corner of Congress and Milam in Houston. Uh, There is a building there that uh, I'm not sure exactly what year the the present building was built, but it was the Hinky and Pilo Grocery Building uh, for many, many years. But that's the block on which the Mansion Hotel sat. There's now some restaurants on that block, and uh, it's right across the Congress from Market Square. Uh, One block north of that block uh, is the block on which 
uh, the lot sat that Pamelia sold to that free woman of color that re- resulted in uh, in the indictment of her husband. Um, I want to mention that uh, all of Pamelia's litigation uh, and the jail in which she was held for six months were all on the block of 301 Fannin. The 1910 courthouse sits there. That's the courthouse I go to work in every day. And uh, any of you listeners, uh, if we can work it out, you want to tour that historic building, shoot me an email at host at wiseabouttexas.com. I'd love to show you around. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Wise About Texas. I appreciate you listening today. Go like the Wise About Texas Facebook page. You'll find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Wise About Texas. If you'd like to support the preservation and promotion of Texas history, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash wiseabouttexas. If you get a minute, leave a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. And I want to tell you, we're working on this video project. I mentioned it a couple episodes back. I filmed a few uh, Wise About Texas History minutes around the state from my travels. And we'll be working on more of those and getting a YouTube channel up and running. So stay tuned for that. I appreciate you tuning in for some Texas history today. Go out and do something for Texas today. Until next time, God bless Texas and we'll see you down the road.